two-week notice podcast. Less than Jake. Yeah. Let's do this. Yo, 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 yo. What up, everyone? You are listening to the Two Week Notice Podcast. My name is Dana B. I'm your host. Thank you so much for listening. And today, we have a very special episode for you because we have Krista Makes of Less Than Jake. Ah, yeah. Come on. But before we get into that, today is Sunday. It's Sunday, the 4th of July, as I record this introduction. So we're going to do a shot. Happy 4th of July to all my fellow United States people. And uh, cheers. Excuse me. Uh, hold on. I got to wash that down with an American Pilsner. Miller Lite. Hold on. Oh, yeah. Come around. All right. Now, here's the deal. This is take three. <laughs> and I, I can't do any more shots. All right. So I better get this one right. <laughs> uh, you know, 4th of July. Say what you want about what right politics and all that bullshit right this is the one day this is why i love this holiday you, you gotta put it all aside you know you gotta put it aside and i try not to get too political anyway i never do especially on the podcast and i have one rule at the bar no politics at the bar when i bartend because it just causes too much friction and it's like a fucking headache for me i'm like fuck you both go away you know what i'm saying but anyway what i love about this holiday is like we're all just here on this piece of land and let's just celebrate that. I understand it has a dark history of how our ancestors got here. But <laughs> let's just live in the moment, man. Light off some fireworks, drink some fucking beers, and have a good time. Is there anything wrong with that? Can we celebrate that, please? Please. Thank you so much. All right. I am. That's what I do. You do what you will. Anywho. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. We got Krista Makes of Less Than Jake. And I owe a huge shout out to my homie, Chris Swinney, who was on this podcast just a couple episodes back. Go back and check that out. Chris Swinney, he played in the Ataris. He plays in a band now. It's called Fire Sale, and they're fucking sack. And he has a podcast that's way better than mine. So if you like the music interviews, go check out his show. It's called That One Time On Tour. But Chris Swinney is the guy who introduced me to Krista Makes. So thank you, Chris. And um, another Chris. There's too many Chris's here, by the way, right? Um, another Chris, Chris Fafalios. Chris Fafalios, uh, he is the one who coordinated with Chris DeMakes and I to get me to him. So thank you, Chris Fafalios and Chris Swinney. Fafalios, he plays in the band Punchline. So I want to get you on this podcast, Chris, because I've been a fan of them for a while. So we'll talk about that offline. Anyway, thank you both for making this happen because I could not have done it without you because I have been a Huge Less Than Jake fan for a very long time now. And Hella Rockview, specifically, is one of my favorite albums of all time. Like, it is very high on my list. Very high on my list. All right. Man, this was such an honor. And, you know, I will say, we we recorded this at 9 in the morning, which is the earliest I've ever recorded a podcast. And li listen, if you know me, I'm a night owl. I'm not a morning guy, but... 
with this interview, it was just like, I'll take what I can get. What, what time are you available? 9 a.m. on this date? Yes, sir. I will be there and I will be on time. <laughs> but I couldn't fucking sleep the night before. You know, here's the deal. This is what I like. You know, I worked overnight for many years. In addition to that, you know, I, I bartend. So sometimes I have late nights and oftentimes I'm up overnight still just working on the podcast. So if you're up overnight, East Coast time, and you want someone to talk to, hit me up because, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm probably awake and probably just probably editing or recording this fucking introduction. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Come around. So I think it was a combination of that and the fact that I was, I was just in awe. You know, and I, every episode, I say it and I mean it when I say, you know, it's an honor and that I'm a big fan. I, I have not once talked to anyone who I was not a big fan of or honored to speak with. But there are certain moments like Chris Caraba, you know, that was a big one. Um, and Chris makes like this one, another big one. I was just like, wow, I can't can't believe I'm talking to this guy. I'm usually pretty good at putting it aside, but uh, I was geeking out for sure on this one is my point. So it was a very big deal for me. And if you're new to this podcast, hey, thanks so much for checking it out. I'm sure we have new people through the Less Than Jake page. So yeah, if this is your vibe, make sure that you hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss a single episode. And make sure you go back and check out some of the other other uh, guests. I've had some killer guests. Uh, if you're into ska specifically, I've I've had David McQueen of Big D and the Kids Table. Uh, I've had both Vic and Glenn of the Slackers. I've had uh, Brond of the uh, up-and-coming ska band Just Friends. And I got some more ska shit coming. So definitely hit that subscribe button. And uh, if you really, really want to do me a solid and are digging this podcast, the best thing you can do to help me move this show forward is if you're on Apple iTunes, give me a five stars, a five star written review. That is super helpful. It's the best thing for me and for the show. Thank you so much. All right. What else we got going on? Honestly, my life at this moment basically just consists of bartending and working on this podcast. I haven't really been doing much else. I guess it's kind of boring. I enjoy it. You know, I live in my little bubble. I drink my Jim Beam honey, apparently. that's I don't know why I have that. I still don't know. I can still taste the honey. I don't hate it, but it's just like, why the fuck do I even have this? It's the 4th of July. Fuck it. Who cares? What else is going on? If you keep it up with the podcast, I was in a wiffle ball tournament at Luke Garrow's house a few weeks back. Luke Garrow is the drummer of Piebald. And... There's another tournament coming up, people. There's a tournament in July. I think Luke and and uh, the boys, I think they want redemption because I struck their punk asses out. Come on. No, but seriously, he invited me back at the towards the end of the July, and I gotta I think I gotta do it. I gotta get over there. I had so much fun. And also, I got to give a shout out to my homie, Vinny Caruana. Vinny Caruana has also been on this podcast. He is the frontman of, geez, uh, he's got a million bands. The Movie Life, Peaced Out, Constant Elevation. Jeez, what else? He, does, he has his solo stuff. Dude, uh, I am the Avalanche. I mean, Vinny Caruana is an absolute legend. So he has been doing these backyard shows, right? 
So the Friday right before, the night before the tournament at Luke's house, the wiffle ball tournament, Vinny's doing a backyard. It's actually like a rooftop show. He's been doing these private shows. It's kind of rad. If you want to uh, check that out or, or if you're into that, you want Vinny to come to your backyard or your rooftop or whatever the fuck, he'll fucking do it. Hit him up. Vinny Caruana. Find him on Instagram. But he invited me because he's doing a show in Worcester. He invited me as his guest. How cool is that? What a gentleman. What a fucking guy. How do I say no to that? I told my bar manager, I said, I need that night off. And then the next weekend, oh, sorry, the next day, boom, wiffle ball tournament at Luke's house, come out. Anyway, I cannot wait for that stuff. And a huge thank you. Hey, hey, the last two episodes have been pretty big hits. Buzz McGrath of Unearth and Travis Shettle of Piebald. I've had nothing but amazing feedback on that. And I've had people reach out and say, hey, I'm a new listener now because of the Buzz episode or because of the Travis episode. So thank you so much. And I hope you're still with me. All right, let's do this. Krista makes less than Jake. Let's, let's, let's keep this ball rolling, baby. Come out. Chris, in all sincerity, thank you so much. Enjoy. Two Week Notes Podcast. Today we have Krista Makes of Lesson Jake. Chris, how are you? I am fantastic. How are you? I am also fantastic. Thank you so much for doing this. Dude, uh, good morning, by the way. Good morning to you. What, uh, you what, want... what time is it where you're at? I'm in Boston, East Coast time. Okay, me too. So. Okay. Where, where are you, Florida? I'm uh, actually in Tennessee. I'm uh, Knoxville, Tennessee area. Knoxville? Okay. okay. Dude, like, this is the earliest I've ever done a podcast. <laughs> I live on a pond and I just, I just did a power, I have a kayak and I just did a power lap around the pond. I played Hello Rockview on my headphones and my goal was to do a lap and get back before Nervous in the Alley. But I got to Motto, so I didn't quite hit my goal. I was like one song late. Does that make well, sense? It does make sense, but there's, there's always next time. Anyway, Chris, uh, most notably, singer guitar less than jake but you do a lot more than that you're a podcaster you're a writer you're an artist um and uh thank you once again for doing this um before we get into the band stuff can can we just learn about you early influences if you played sports you know when you first picked up a guitar if maybe first shows you went to like stuff like that yeah for sure so uh i was born in michigan and i lived there till i was about six and a half years old my dad uh 
you know, it's crazy. It's like anything else in life. It's uh, all these little things add up. Uh, you know, it's much like your life or any other human being, you know, where our path takes us. It's all, it's all a bunch of coincidences that lead up to something, you know, and it's just amazing to think that if the, the auto industry hadn't crashed in 1980, uh, you know, my dad, who had a really high paying job at Chrysler at the time in Michigan, um, probably wouldn't have moved to Florida, but he had a friend in Florida that kept telling him that real estate was booming in this one area. My dad should get his real estate license, come down there. And uh, he packed up the family and we went to Florida when I was six and a half. And I lived in this little sleepy uh, retirement community called Port Charlotte. It was about a hundred miles south of Tampa, Florida on the Gulf Coast. And uh, that's where I grew up and I played, uh, Little League Baseball. I was a I was a good player. My dad played with the Detroit Tigers organization. He played minor league uh, baseball oh, back, wow. back in the early 70s. So it was kind of in my blood. My brother ended up going on and playing uh, collegiate ball. He played uh, uh, for North Carolina State for four years. So uh, but dad was also uh, mom and dad were both singers. So music was in my family. They would uh, play uh, nightclubs. Uh, two, three, four times a week, uh, private parties, weddings, bar mitzvahs, retirement party, you, you name it. They they were uh, constantly playing. So music was always around. Dad was always playing a guitar in the house. And, uh, you know, if I, if I were to say it was probably sports were, you know, baseball was my top thing until I was probably, probably a 10 or 11, maybe 12 years old. And, and around that time, um, music became my thing. It just, it just took over. I, mean, I remember being on the pitcher's mound and, and singing songs in my head as I'm pitching, you know, it was just, it was, it was all encompassing. So, you know, I was into everything, uh, literally everything. Mom and dad would listen to, you know, anything from Beach Boys to uh, Neil Diamond to Boston to Led Zeppelin to The Who, The Stones. Um, and then, of course, I got into what was happening in the 80s, everything from, uh, you know, the, the hard rock and the metal to the to the pop stuff, Huey Lewis, the cars. Uh, I was into it all. You know, I just I just loved music. And when I was about, uh, I think about 13 or 14, I first heard the Misfits. That was the first like punk rock that I had heard. And then from there, it got into Circle Jerks and Dag Nasty and, and uh, Bad Religion and and it just kept uh, spiraling from there. Uh, when I was 15 in, in 89, uh, or just turned 16, I met Vinny, um, Les and Jake's uh, first drummer. And he lived in the same town I did. He, we went to high school together. And we formed a hardcore band that uh, there's, there's, we never released anything. We just would play, we had like a cassette, but we would just play garage parties and, and stuff, friends parties. And, um, you know, that took me up until uh, through high school. And I played baseball still. I was, I was still on the team in high school. I played all through high school. But by the time my senior year came around, it was kind of like the writing was on the wall for the sports. I just I knew I wasn't going to try to take it any further. I just kind of I had fun with it while it lasted. And I um, got accepted to the University of Florida in Gainesville. And again, the story just it, it's crazy to think, you know, our bass player, Roger, he had uh, uh, gotten accepted to a bunch of different colleges, but he picked University of Florida. I got accepted to other colleges, but I picked Florida. So I went up there and the whole time I was there, I had been writing these songs with Vinny. Um, I was just a singer in that hardcore band. I hadn't picked up the guitar 
but um, when I left for college, my brother got this guitar for like his 13th birthday. He's two years younger than me. And it kind of just sat into the bed collecting dust. And I said, ah, what the hell? I'm going to bring this thing up. And I knew a few chords. You know, my dad had showed me, uh, you know, some chords over the years, but I, I was hardly a guitar player. But I took the guitar with me and I was writing these songs, you know, back and forth with Vinny, sending him cassettes and he'd write lyrics to it. And uh, about, about a year later, uh, I convinced Vinny to, uh, he had gotten a, a community college, he got his AA degree. I convinced him to come up to, to UF and, and continue studying and we should form a band. And that's when Less Than Jake was born. Wow. That's, that's so rad, man. Now, um, just, a, I'm a baseball guy too, so I got to ask, uh, did you ever continue to play like like a softball league or anything like that? No, I didn't. I never, I never played, I think maybe 10 years ago, I threw a baseball around. I could hardly move my shoulder the next day, you know, yeah. so it, it, it had been, it had been some time since I, since I played, but yeah, uh, yeah. no, it, it was kind of a, a moment in my life. I, I went, I, I can only say it about a couple things. I was passionate about wrestling when I was a kid, really passionate. I have like 200 vintage wrestling magazines in this closet over here to my left. You see what's behind me right there. There you go. Ultimate yeah. Warrior wrestling buddy. Oh yeah. You oh, know, yeah. so I was, I was really into wrestling, really into baseball. Yeah. And then, me too. Uh, and then it was, then it was music, you know? And so yeah. by the time, by the time, uh, you know, like I said, high school uh, had, had come to an end, I was pretty much done with sports. Uh, not because I, I didn't enjoy them still or anything. You know, I still watch baseball and TV, but it was more of, it was all, you know, I'm kind of an all or nothing guy and, and it was all about music. Right. Nothing wrong with that, man. But baseball is the shit. It's, you know, it, it, it sometimes sounds like fun, but, you know, for me, you know, Less Than Jake never stopped touring. We were, we were out there, you know, we tour as much as some of these bands that are half our age do. So um, not because I, I, I'm, I'm so cautious that I don't, don't enjoy life, but to me, it's like, I'm not going to go out and play a pit, a pickup softball league and dislocate my knee and not be able to get on stage. That's, yeah, that's... one of the reasons. It's, it's much right. like skiing and snowboarding. Like I just don't enjoy yeah. it enough. I don't yeah. enjoy it enough to like risk getting hurt to be on stage. I've never broken a bone, knock on wood. I've never went to the yeah. emergency room, been in a hospital. So I don't, you know, that's what smart. happened to your leg? Oh, I was in a pickup softball league. Yeah, no, you're right. That's smart. And you said you, you guys did. That. So, so lesson Jake, was that essentially your first band? Yeah. So I didn't yeah. even know that. That's amazing. That's very yeah, rare. It's the only, only a band I've ever been in. I mean, not counting that high school, that high school band that Vinny and I had, which wasn't a real thing, but you right. know, lesson Jake was a, uh, was my first and, and only band. So can I ask, um, well, like, did you have horns in the beginning or was it just you, Vinny, Roger? Like, how'd that work? Well, kind, kind of, sort of, yeah, no. And I'll give you the, the, the quick and short of it. So um, when I got to UF, like I said, Vinny and I were writing these songs. I think the first four track demo we did uh, that we called Less Than Jake would have been around November of 91 and then around January or so 92 I was going to shows late 91 92 I was going to shows and and dubbing these cassettes and it, I had a dual cassette player and I would just take them and pass out it said less than Jake it was like a four song demo and I would just pass them out for free love it love and it. uh uh around March I found a guy uh 
in the punk scene that played bass. His name was Chris. So Chris started playing bass and him and I were rehearsing these songs. And we had grown from the four songs Vinny and I did. We had like maybe four more. We had like eight or nine songs plus like a cover. And um, then in May of 92, Vinny moved up. And our first show as Less Than Jake was me, Vinny and this guy, Chris. We were a three piece. It was uh, Tuesday, July 14th, 1992 at Club Velvet in Gainesville, Florida, which is now called The Atlantic. It's a venue downtown. We probably did 10 to 12 shows with Chris. And then around November of 92, um, we stopped playing. Um, I had in this interim, it was, I lived with um, a buddy from high school that I used to play baseball with the, for the first year, it was just him and I. And then the second year, his sister and her friend who we both went to high school with, they moved in, in into the extra bedroom and, uh, they were out at the dorms one night. I come home from delivering pizzas or something one night and they're standing there and they're like, dude, we met this guy tonight. You got to meet him. And I'm like, oh yeah, like he's amazing and blah, blah, blah. They're going on and on. I'm like, yeah, whatever. And it was maybe a week later, same thing. I come in and throw my pizza bag down and walk in the living room. And there's this guy sitting there and they're like, hey, this is Roger. We were telling you about him. And I'm like, oh yeah, what's up, man? He's like, hey, I'm, I'm like, I heard you play guitar. He's like, yeah, I'm like, come check out my amp and guitar. So I bring him in my bedroom. And so this was like late August of 92. He had just, Roger hit, was a freshman in college. So I was a year, we're the same age, but I went, I started kindergarten earlier than he did. But right. anyhow, um, we went into my room, he started playing guitar and I was like, holy crap, that's my guy. And I was still playing with Chris. And at this point, I didn't know maybe if Roger would be a second guitarist and we'd be a four piece, but uh, things just didn't work out with the other guy. Um, and sure. we, stopped, we stopped playing shows with him. And we went out to a warehouse. It was getting close to Christmas in 92. Just me and Vinny. Roger didn't even have a bass. He wasn't a bass player. He was a guitar player. Yeah. I've we always read that. Yeah. We just went out, him and I, two guitars and Vinny and jam one night. And we got done. And I, I told Vinny, I'm like, you know, that's our dude. But we got to get him. We got to convince him to play bass. <laughs> so I, I want to say it was like early January it was like late January we had our first rehearsal but Roger had taken this like speaker out of the back of his car it was like a 15 inch subwoofer and he had taken it out of his car and he built a box around it wood box some insulation went and got this cheap bass head and like a $50 bass <laughs> and he started playing bass and um we around that time got this um this lady named jessica she was a sax player and she joined the band because we were influenced by a band called snuff from england they had they were like a punk band but they had horns and you know, we were also influenced by the bostones fishbone all these other bands at this time but um our first seven inch came out in may of 93 called smoke spot it had five songs on it one song had sax on it that jessica played so you know, pretty much since our inception, we, we had horns. That's rad, man. You know, I've always, I guess, maybe I'm jumping ahead here, and I'm sure you've heard this a lot, but as far as vocals go, like, you and Roger are the perfect balance, you know what I mean? 
like just with with your i don't know he's got like the high pitch you've got the the deep voice and uh it's and and, and to add to what you said it, just as a fan man like i've always read that roger was a guitar player first and he just became a bass player with less than jake or for less than jake and i think you can hear that in his bass playing. Oh yeah, we, we've he, always said, we've always said he's a he's a fr- he's a frustrated guitar player, but that's kind of his fast bass runs and the way he plays lends itself, especially to the ska stuff because there's not much going on. You're just going right. on one chord, ticket ticket tink to the next chord, you okay. know. So yeah. there's not much going on guitar wise to fill in that sound. He's always done these crazy runs, so it's just always been been part of our sound, and it's kind of kind of worked out for the best. You said that way better than I ever could have. There you go. That's what I was trying to capture. <laughs> no, but you get it though. You understand. You understood yeah. the answer because you, that, you know, I, I knew, I knew what you were trying to articulate. When did you officially get? Because you said on that EP, you had one song with the sax. Yes. When did you decide? All right, this is going to be full time horns. Let's do well, it. Well, so we started. You know, we were we were playing shows like constantly. Any any private party, we were playing on campus. So we knew we knew a couple of the guys that. They were on in the surf club at the University of Florida. These surfer stoner dudes would play their parties, and they these parties were just insane. I remember being crammed in a a living room in this apartment over by campus, and or a small house. But the living room was like this room might have been like fifteen by twenty. It wasn't that big, and we're stuffed in the corner. We're playing, and the room there's probably eighty people crammed in here. And this dude's crowd surfer. And the next thing you know, he goes through the sliding glass door. <laughs> glass everywhere. Yeah, dude's all cut up. You know, so we were playing anywhere and anywhere that we could. And one night we were at the local uh, punk venue called The Hardback. And we played with this band called Dig Dug. And their bass player happened to be Buddy. And Buddy came up afterwards and he said, oh, this, that's cool. You got a sax player. I played, I played trombone in my marching band. We're like, cool, you should come to our next practice. So he came out to the next rehearsal. I mean, he was in the band immediately. Yes. So uh, that was in August of 93. So we had a trombone and a sax and the three of us. And then from there, it just, uh, you know, that fall we recorded uh, our next, uh, you know, seven inch records that we were, that we did, put a couple more of those out. And then, um, you know, by the spring of 94, by January of 94, the top of the year, um, I guess it'd be winter, we were playing not just Gainesville now. We were going down to Tampa, Orlando, Daytona, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Tallahassee, Jacksonville. And we were getting getting gigs outside of outside of Gainesville. And things were starting to happen quick. You know, we were aligning ourselves with the popular bands in those areas. So if we knew this band from Daytona could draw a hundred people, we'd hop on their show. And um, then eventually we would come back and there'd be a hundred people there just for us, you know, and it was, it was happening very, very, we were seeing, and, and we weren't great. You know, the, the music, uh, we were raw. We were still learning how to play our instruments, still learning how to write songs, all that stuff. But the live show was insane. It was just, you know, even probably crazier than it, it is now, just because we were youthful and just young. And it was, you know, it was, a little bit more forgiving. You didn't have uh, cell phone cameras and, and people as uptight as they are these days. We got away with some shit back then. We'd definitely be in jail for now. <laughs> Different times, man. The, the yeah. early 90s. It's weird to say, right? It was the 90s, but like that was like 20, 
plus years ago now. Yeah, you didn't, you, you, your life wasn't documented by someone's cell phone every second of every minute you were on stage, you know, so it was, yeah, it, dude. was it was different. But that less than Jake energy, man, I'm very familiar with it. I've seen your band at least 15 times, minimum, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, and it was, yeah. it was, it was nuts, you know, and so that's basically from there, it just, you know, we toured for the next year and a half inside Florida and I always tell the story we wanted to probably that spring of 94 there was talks of going out on a, on a tour but we were smart we held back we networked that whole year we were getting on compilations okay that was a big thing back back then you'd get on this comp so there'd be a, a guy in Milwaukee would have a record label and he'd have a compilation and all his all these bands would be on it and so and then another guy would have one in Chicago, another guy in Detroit, another guy in Pittsburgh. And we would get, we'd get on these comps so that when we'd go to those cities, we would then play with the local bands that were on the comp that had a following. We were on the comp. So all the punks in that area at least knew one song from us. Hell yeah. So uh, our first U.S. tour was um, in June of 95. That's when we left outside of Florida and we uh, toured that whole summer. And, Who, who'd you tour with? Uh, basically what I just said, kind of like we would just go, we had, well, on a good amount of the shows, there was a band called Against All Authority that was from Florida. They did do a, a number of shows at different dates with us, but it would just be like, I remember in Chicago, like a popular band uh, back then was uh, Slapstick. They were a ska punk band. And mm -hmm. so we played, uh, and, and of course, Slapstick went on to be in a ton of the different bands. Brandon Kelly plays in Lauren's Arms, a singer. Dan Andriano plays bass for Alkaline Trio. You know, Pete and Anna, their trombone player, ended up joining Less Than Jake during Hello Rockview. So, uh, but we we would just play with those bands that had regional and local followings, you know, and we set it up that way. So that first U.S. tour, we we probably only had out. I think it was like forty eight shows. I think we had like maybe a dozen of them that were ill attended, but the rest of them were, you know, at least a hundred to three four hundred people we were playing to. That's so rad, man. I tore with uh, I tore with the band Piebald. You know, I was talking to Travis Shettle. He's the singer. Piebald's been around since 94. But just to your point, like he was just talking about how pre-cell phone days or like pre-MapQuest, like you would show up in Gainesville, Florida. You would pull over as soon as you saw our payphone and then you would pump in some quarters, right? You would call the venue or call the promoter and be like, uh, uh, I see a McDonald's and a 7-Eleven. Where do I go from here? Like, the, you know what I mean? There wasn't MapQuest. There wasn't anything. You were just in the moment. Uh yeah i mean those first, rad. those first tours you know beforehand you do as much homework as you could i and i have journals of it with with the drag i was reading one recently on a show someone had wanted me to read the journal and anyhow basically it'd be like you'd be a club owner in columbia south carolina and i would call you and it'd be like two weeks before the tour like are we still on we're, we're going to be there on january 4th like, we're still on man cool okay the club is called Rockefellers. Yes, cool. It's on 1614 Main Street, correct? Cool. When I get off of I-85, what yeah. exit is it? It's exit yeah. 113. Cool. Tell, tell me from there. Okay, once you get off the exit, you're going to go down to, you know, 4th, 4th Avenue, and you're going to take a left. And then you're going to go down four blocks, and I'd be writing all of this down, you know. Finally, yeah. you're going to hit Main Street. Once you hit Main Street, you go down two lights. We're the second venue on the left. Okay, cool. Well, inevitably... This guy would, you know, maybe he smoked a little too much grass that morning and, and neglected to tell us that there was one more turn in there, you know? So you'd be like, fuck, man, we're on Main Street. Like, he told us that it was the second building or whatever. 
and you'd pull over at a 7-Eleven and do what you just said. You'd walk. I remember, I remember standing in, in gas station parking lots, looking around going, okay, that guy's like probably my age now in his mid forties. He's not going to know where the punk club's at. That dude's dressed in a suit and tie. Ooh, but here comes a guy like, like dirty as hell, you know, <laughs> chain smoking Winston's. I bet this guy will know. And you'd ask him and he'd be like, yeah, man, two blocks down. Or, or you do what you said and you'd, you'd get some quarters and, and pump it into the payphone and, and, you know, hopefully get someone on the phone at the club. So it was an adventure. Uh, that'll never happen again. Right. Different times. That's amazing though. Yeah. I mean, there was one time that we were going through New Jersey and I had misplaced or lost the contact somehow, which was strange thinking back because I was meticulous and it was that first tour. And I remember my band going, cause I was kind of, didn't call it my, that my position, but I was acting, I guess, as tour manager then, you know, I had all the directions and shit in my book and we're driving along and I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? And we were playing this kid's backyard party. He had a pool, his dad ended up grilling out for everybody. And there was like a hundred New Jersey punks there that came to this That's show. So cool, dude. And we're driving along and we're in the town and, and our sax player at the time, this guy, Darren, he was really into Star Wars, like Star Wars geek. And so was this kid. This kid's name was Alan Rappaport. And so Darren's like, hey, we got to find the comic store here. So, all right. So Darren knew through talking to Alan or whatever that there was a comic shop that sold toys, Star Wars stuff. So we're cruising through. And actually, we didn't go to the comic shop. Darren called. We found a payphone, found the number in the, in the phone book. And Darren calls and goes, yeah, hi, this is going to sound weird, but I play in this band less than Jake. And there's a guy that comes into your store and buys a bunch of stuff named Alan Rappaport. Yeah, of course. Like, do you know where he lives? Yeah, I know where he lives. So that's how we got directions. And we ended up making it to the party. Otherwise, is, otherwise, we would have been screwed. That's crazy, dude. Um, I got to bring this up, right? I'm going to jump into a fan question because you brought up New Jersey. And this is from the legendary John Cheese. John Cheese. Uh, was on Warp Tour for a very long time. He used to sell the compilations. He used yes. to tour manage Piebald. Do you remember sleeping on his floor in 1997 in Boonton, New Jersey? Um, if you gave me a little more info on it, probably. I mean, we slept on thousands of floors, hundreds of floors. So that yeah, I don't, I, don't right. I don't recall offhand, but you know, if he could give me a little more information. Um, my, you know, my German shepherd shit on your sleeping bag. Oh, yeah, I remember that, you know, because that actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. That's all he gave me for information. Okay. But in well, a roundabout way, the, he's kind of... Thanks your house. <laughs> Shout out to John Cheese. Um, the other question he had, which is a question I always ask, you guys have spent so much time on the Warp Tour. Well, maybe a Warp Tour story or two. I mean, you guys, oh, whatever comes to mind, no, you, you've, you guys are like, you've probably... Has anybody done the Warp Tour more than you? No, they haven't. So we've done right. 400, 441 shows. Uh, on the wow, Warped man. Tour. Your so, memory is impeccable, by the more, way. More than a year of my life, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, the first tour we did, I'll give you the rundown. We did, uh, we were offered in the spring of 97, we were offered three weeks, half the tour in 97. Wow. I hadn't even heard of the tour then. I had never knew about Warp. They were only in that was only their third year. And the first year was just kind of a small market run. So really it was the second full year. We did half the tour in 97, half the tour in 98, the whole tour in 99. 
we did four shows in 2000, the whole tour in 2001, the whole tour in 2003. We did the 10 year anniversary show in Boston uh, in 2004, all of 2006, all of 2009, all of 2011, all of 2014, all of 2016, all of 2018, and the last two shows uh, ever in 2019. We played out in Mountain View, California and Atlantic City, New Jersey, plus the Warp Tour cruises, plus Warp Tour Europe, plus Warp Tour England. Holy and shit. Warp Tour Australia. Wow, man. That's legendary. Um, my most my favorite warp tour memory i mean you've probably done this a million times but it was 2003 you guys closed out the show in boston it had just moved from suffolk downs over to gillette stadium where the patriots play it was just legendary like i'll never forget that moment and you guys happened to be closing that night too like you were the last band to play you know what i mean but i imagine you you've fired up a, a million figure eight circle pits in your time We've done a few, I've done a few. <laughs> yeah. I always just like to ask about the Warp Tour because it's so legendary, and and you are the Warp Tour king, obviously. Yeah, so. I mean, there's just the the tour. The, I, it's hard for me to even begin with with talking about it because there's just so much. I just did two days ago. I did the Warp Tour podcast with Kevin Lyman. Kevin's got a Warp Tour podcast now. Oh, and he, cool. He, he brought me on to talk about it, and you know, I could literally talk for days because again. You know, there's 365 days in a year. I did 441 shows on that tour. So over a year and a half of my life is spent. Those are just shows, not counting all the travel and the off days in between. Right. So like two years of my life have been somehow, you know, warp centric, you know. Um, I guess maybe like what's the most memorable, if you had to pick one, maybe two, like memorable warp tour show. Like there's got to be one or two that stand out where you're just like, like, you know, well, like, Atlantic City was pretty remarkable in 2019, the last show we played. Uh, it's on YouTube. They're, they're, we probably played in front of 30,000 people that day. It was, and that's everyone that's ever seen the band. I mean, it was just every, you know, it was, wasn't just young kids. If the kid, if there were, were kids there, it was because their parents were there and their parents were kids 20 years ago, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, there's not so much the memories of exact shows. There, there are, but for me, it's more of what I was telling Kevin. It was literally like, I was equated to like, uh, you know, a, a, a farmer tilling the soil, you know, and, and every every two years planting the next crop. And that's what we do. It's like every every other year we'd go back out on that tour. We kept getting invited and there'd be a, a fresh batch of fresh faced 13, 14, 15, 16 year olds that had never seen our band before. And that wouldn't have seen our band or wouldn't have gotten exposed to us. So we kept nurturing our fan base, even in the later years when we were the veterans on the tour and we weren't the cute little, you know, cute younger band that the young girls were coming to see, you know, we were these men that were on stage. We were still making younger fans because we still have a youthful sound and, and it's energetic and the show's fun. That's, that's the big thing. So, um, yeah. but it was just constantly, constantly going back uh, and being able to play a tour that people got to see us and we would, continually come back to those cities and those people that saw us at the warp tour for the first time they'd be at our own show so it was you can't put a price on what the tour did for us yeah man you guys are one of the most fun bands ever like i said i've seen you at least 15 times one of my favorite was more recent when you toured with pepper couldn't be more than seven years 2017 okay what's that four years ago 
And yeah. I, I like I love Pepper too, man. They have great energy as well. Like you guys have similar energy, and that tour just made like I was a fan of you both separately. So when 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 that tour happened, man, I yeah, that was that was a one of my favorite Less Than Jake shows of all of them. Um, how was that tour? It was great. You know, we again we met the Pepper guys on the Warp tour probably in 2001, 2003. So we've known them forever, and we've done a bunch of stuff with them, and um, you know. So it, it's always nice when you get to tour with your friends because it's just it's just easy, you know. It's um, there's no not that there's ever really been any egos with any other bands we tour. We never had many many problems, but you never know. And and with a band like Pepper, it's like, you know, your dressing room is my dressing room. You can walk here. No one, there's no like, oh, stay out of my area type type right. ego crap. So it's just easy. It's a nice it's nice to be able to, you know, if you want to call it work, what we do, go to work and not have to worry about that kind of kind of stuff. Yeah, man, I was tour managing Piebald right before everything shut down and we opened up for Dashboard Confessional. And at the beginning of the tour, we were just being respectful, just like staying out of their way. But like by the end, you know, we were all just mingling and the same thing. You just it was there was just a camaraderie. It was very special, you know, and actually I had I had Mr. Caraba on this podcast and he gave you a very nice shout out. Oh yeah, right on. Yeah, Chris, he, Chris was on my show. He was a great episode. He was, yeah. I I listened to that one. Man. Your podcast is amazing. Uh, might as well. It's Chris DeMakes a podcast. Yes. <laughs> and uh, you you take a musician and you pick a specific song and you break that song down, unwire it. I don't know how would how would you word that. Well, I, I yeah, we 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 dissect it. You know, dissect. We, there you go. We, yeah. yeah, we we dissect it during the uh, forty five minutes to an hour. We uh you know break down discuss critique and analyze a career defining song of, of an artist's career and from top to bottom and i really pick it apart you know i get in there and and really you know line by line second by second of the song i i get a kick out of telling the artist stuff about their song that they don't know you know i had mark hoppus on and we did what's my aging and i said you do realize that the chorus hits at 23 seconds after the song starts. He, he starts yeah. laughing. He's like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you're already in the chorus. You know, most songs take a minute to get to the damn chorus, you know? So yeah, man, you it, break it down, dude. You yeah. Do. Yeah. I really get in there and, and, and analyze it. And it's been, uh, it's been cool. There's no podcast like it. And uh, I've, I've enjoyed uh, following that podcast myself, but Chris brought you up. Uh, he was saying back in the day, maybe it was Gainesville or, or, somewhere in Florida, he said he was just kind of like a roadie, like, and you guys were just so nice to him. He was just, you know, like working yeah. at a venue. I don't know if you remember that, but he, he yeah, brought that well, up. There was a, yeah, there was a, a venue down in Vero Beach and um, we used to play down there with his uh, uh, first band. They were called the Vacant Andes back in the day. And, uh, you know, but yeah, he was always, uh, it was funny because, you know, he of course got into Further Seems Forever and things were going pretty well and then he like left and went solo and you know leaving a, a pretty established at least that time their further scenes forever was, was really established in florida they're building up a following and leaving and, and staking out on your own as a solo artist it's not many people can do it you know i i've seen more people not be as, as successful as the band they left uh versus going on to being more and uh of course, Chris is, you know, I say solo career, but Dashboard Confessional has eclipsed anything he's ever done. It's been, been, been really cool to see. Yeah, he's the man, dude. And so are you, Mr. DeMakes. All right, so you. let's go back to, you brought up that first U.S. tour, right? It sounds like that 
that first U.S. tour you brought up a little while ago, that was when you were like, all right, things are happening. We're doing this full time now. Is that correct? Well, from 94, that whole year, we were touring inside Florida. We were playing everywhere. Any little, you name it, we played it in Florida. And we were playing now three, four days a week. So we were essentially on tour in 94. It just wasn't outside of Florida. Any national band that came in, we'd pick up. So like Skank and Pickle would come. we like, oh, they're doing Tallahassee, Gainesville, and Fort Lauderdale. We're, we want to be on all those shows. So we'd hit them up, be like, and the promoters, hey, we want to play these shows. And the promoters knew we were bringing in people too. So we were getting on the, all these shows. And then 95, that tour hit. And then from there, so really from 94 to 2000, it was like six years where we were on the road like nine months out of the year. I'm not even kidding. It was it was pretty much nonstop. One tour just went to the next tour to the next tour, just just kept going. You know, we had gotten signed to Capitol in November 95. Um, Pezcore had come out earlier that year, our first full-length CD, although we had another CD out of all our compilation stuff, um, seven inches and stuff that we had done. We had, so we basically had like two or three CDs worth of material, but our first official full-length Pezcore came out. We were touring behind that record. We got signed in November 95. We continued touring Pezcore right up to May of 96. Went in the studio, recorded Losing Streak. Losing Streak came out in November of 96. We kept touring that whole time. Um, and then in the spring of 97, as I said, we got the call for the Warp Tour. Prior to that, though, we uh, were offered the Descendants Everything Sucks Tour. We went out with Descendants. Wow. Uh, in may of 97 and that was huge for us wow. we, were, we were huge fans but we went out for a month and we were playing like big places like the smaller markets maybe like a lawrence kansas was maybe 800 people but then we'd play like chicago to 4,000 people you wow. know and everything in between so um we did that for a month straight into the warp tour um and then we came home from warp tour and uh we went out with blink 182 uh, and Frenzel Rom. It was a full U.S. tour Holy in uh, September of 1997. Frenzel Rom was an Australian band that we had brought over, friends of ours. And uh, we did that for a month. And then, um, you know, that took us all the way up pretty much till the end of the year. We, we had bounced around a couple of more tours. And then um, January 98, we, uh, our sax player, Jessica, had left the band. So we got Pete from Slapstick to play trombone. So Pete got in the band. We were writing songs for what was to become Hello Rock View. And we were just playing shows, playing shows, playing shows. Ended up going into Record Rock View in May of 98. And then uh, that summer, went on the Warp Tour. Wow. And then in October of 98, Rock View was released. We toured all the way through the next uh, summer, and we did all of 1999 Warp Tour. That fall, we were still doing, we went over to Australia. I remember we went to, did the Warp Tour in England and Europe uh, that fall of 99 and played shows right up till about October or Halloween of that year. And then we were writing for Borders and Boundaries and we wrote that record all the way up till maybe mid-February, we continued to write, went in the studio to record that. And it's like I said, it's just one, it just yeah. kept, you know, kept kept snowballing, you know? I love Borders and Boundaries, man. Wow, dude. I have so many questions. All right. What is your favorite song off of Hello Rock View? Um, if you had to pick one. I don't know. You know, I, I it, it's hard to well, really I can, narrow but, it down, you know? I mean, there's... 
what I can tell you is a uh, great American sharpshooter got me through multiple breakups. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean, dude? Yeah. Like that song's the shit uh, nervous in the alley. Um, yeah. Al- I mean, other, you know, yeah. I guess if I were to pick them, maybe Al's wars, I was know, just going to say Al's war. That's like, that's just a, like a take yeah. on life kind of song. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. That was a cool one. Cause that was Roger and I wrote that. Um, Remember coming out with a dun 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 the beginning part. Da, 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 Roger, da, 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 da. Roger, yeah, pro, yeah. Roger programmed that on the drum machine. demos we ever did like that but uh, that one like i feel like it helped me grow up i think that album your music did man um and then you know what another one borders and boundaries look what happened yeah well borders and boundaries was was recorded for capital records too that was the third record for capital and everybody at the label had left and our manager at the time was kevin lyman from warp tour and kevin had managed us for about two years and you know, basically he's just like, look, you know, no one is going to push this next record. We can get out of the deal. So basically we wanted to leave the label. No one, we, we weren't going to get a push there. So whether we left or we got dropped, that's depending on who you talk to, but we basically left capital with this record. And um, wow. Mike from no, Mike from no effects knew that we had this record, wanted to hear it. He liked the record and we ended up putting it out on fat. And then after Fat, uh, we had that record. We toured behind Borders and Boundaries for two years. It was our biggest record ever in the UK. It was on MTV in England. We were the video for Gainesville Rock City. That song was blowing up. Um, yes. We were in every magazine. You know, we'd, we'd go to England and we would like be walking around the town before a show, like record stores, and be just getting noticed everywhere that we went, you know. And um, things were really, really happening over there. And then uh, the A&R guy that had signed us at Capitol, Craig Aronson, he ended up getting a job at Warner Brothers. And he calls me up one day and he says, hey, you know, I know your record's been out for about a year. Are you thinking about another record? Yeah, actually, we're writing right now. He goes, can I hear the demos? Yeah. So I sent him the demos of what were to become Anthem. Wow, man. Craig's like, dude, I'll sign this in a second. Let me me take it to the label. So he took it to the president and... uh, we ended up signing with Warner Brothers and we did three more major label records with them, you know. Wow. So, well, you know what? I'm, I didn't know that you said Borders and Boundaries, it blew up in, you said, the UK? Yeah, that Europe? record and, and Hello Rock View, really. Yeah, those those two. Well, as I, I mean, Hello Rock View is obviously huge. I didn't know Borders and Boundaries. I always thought that that album didn't get the credit it deserved. Maybe that was the United States thing or maybe I was just unaware. But that makes me happy to hear that because that record is phenomenal. 
Oh yeah, uh, it was, it, there was a time period, and I remember, I remember we had been a band for like ten years, so it was weird to have been a band around that long. And we had always had great success, but we were never like superstars, never like got like chased down the road. And you'd wake up in England, you'd look out the blinds of the bus, go, oh shit, there'd be four hundred kids sitting sitting around the bus. It was circling, waiting for you to get off. They wanted you to sign their stuff, you know. And you're in the bus, you're hungover, you're like, man, all I want to do is take a shit right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all those things you ever dreamed of like you want people to love you you know and you're looking out going oh my god but i remember thinking to myself one morning i got off the bus and it would literally take an hour you know because every person wanted a picture they want an autograph they wanted to talk to you they wanted to tell you man the first time i saw you blah 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 and um i remember wrapping up one day we were in manchester england i remember signing the last kids thing and i'm finally going to go into the venue walk in and take a shower or do whatever I remember saying to myself, remember this, because this isn't going to be, unless we go on to be a Green Day stadium act and have huge hits and, and we're super, like bona fide superstars, this is fleeting. This isn't going to be, we may be able to go over here and tour and have a fan base, but this is, you know, like at the height of that, we were doing three nights in a 2,500 seat venue in London. So we were doing 7,500 tickets. That's basically an arena act. That's a lot, man. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. We, we, we would do three shows at the same venue. So, wow, things, things, uh, things were happening. That's a big deal, dude. Holy shit. That's unbelievable. One of my uh, favorite shows ever was the Hat Shell, uh, Big D and the Kids Table Open. I just had David McQuain on here uh, last yeah. week. Um, that was a reg. I don't know if you remember that one. It was like a, you know, I Hat do. Shell. It's like yeah, a free, it's like a, yeah, it was, it's thousands of people. It was a free show. It was yeah. like, but it was like two o'clock in the afternoon. So it was like big D and then Wes and Jake. And then I drove like an hour later that day. And I saw dashboard confessional MXPX and brand new, like, like, so I saw like, I don't know if I've ever done like a, you know, double header like that before, but that was, that's a memorable day for me. And, uh, man, you guys are ah, one of my favorite bands, dude. Uh, Anthem. So the science of selling yourself short, that song off of, anthem that was huge too right yeah, i mean you know, that, i mean that was huge in 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 i think our fans eyes you know it never it never charted at radio i think it might have got played maybe in bcn in boston it was getting played you know in atlanta for a bit maybe a station in florida but you know perception is, is always different for different people did it have was this successful absolutely we play it every day to this day at every show that we play you know yeah. but um in terms of uh you know, which we never measured anything on commercial success. Of course, the labels did because they wanted to to sell records. That was the business and the job. They we wanted to sell records too, but the 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 proof for us was, you know, until we had a hit, which we never had a bona fide hit, we weren't making money a huge amount of money from our record sales. We were making money from people coming into the building to see us play and buying our merchandise. So yeah. we were still going out and warp tours, going out with Blink, going out on these tours, playing the descendants, playing to packed rooms every night. So our career was like flourishing. We were completely content. But, you know, as uh, as far as, you know, that particular song, that was one of the songs that we've written over the years that, you know, I feel was a hit, definitely a hit amongst our fans. And uh 
maybe uh, another dimension, another moment in time, uh, the right marketing people and the right uh, push, maybe it would have went further radio, but you can never predict those things. So you just, you take it for what it's worth. The song is a, is a success for what it is within our band and within our fans. Yeah, man, that was very well said. And then after that was In With The Out Crowd, correct? Yeah, we did In With The Out Crowd. That was the last record we did with Warner Brothers. Then we put out uh, a record called Gainesville, Florida, abbreviated GNVFLA. We did that record ourselves. Uh, from there, we did a uh, couple EPs that ended up being a full length record. Uh, we put out on Fat. And we did uh, a TV EP, which we did a bunch of TV commercials and, and, and TV theme songs, which was a lot of fun. 2013, we put out a record called See the Light with Fat Records. That was the last one we did with Fat. 2017, we put out, uh, basically, it was almost an album. It would have been an album if we had had more time to record, but we had a pretty busy touring year. It was called Sound the Alarm. And that was a yeah, seven, of course, seven, seven song EP. Yep. And then uh, the 2020, last December, we put out our latest record, Silver Linings, which is our first record with our new drummer, Matt Yonker. And uh, we're just doing our thing, man. Just, you know still uh still out there still Love doing man it. you guys are the best all right this is the most random fan question ever matt banker wants to know about keenan and kel yeah uh, you guys did a thing for nickelodeon good burger yeah keenan and kel can you talk about that for a minute yeah we uh basically we got this um someone from it was capital yeah someone at capital the soundtrack to Good Burger was getting done and there was a spot open for it. And they were looking for a band to do the theme song. And Cal Mitchell had written that song. When I say written it, he spoke it into our voice uh, answer machine. Came home from work one day in the apartment. It's like, uh, yeah, man, uh, this is Cal Mitchell. Um, got, got this song and the producer wanted me to send it to you and want to see if you can put the music around it. And he goes, goes like this, you know, I'm a dude, he's a dude, he starts singing it. Like, I no wish way. I still had the cassette. I think Vinny might have the cassette somewhere. It was, it was hilarious. That's amazing. And um, I, I picked up a guitar and I wrote that song in five minutes. Just boom. And uh, I went in and actually tracked the vocal on it, uh, Roger and I. That's why you can hear us in the background. They kept pieces of it. But Kel went in and actually, basically, he went in and, and emulated what I sang, the melody. Because what he had put down wasn't, he, how do I say this without coming off weird? He was an actor. He wasn't a singer. But right. Right. actors can emulate. And he got into it and he pulled it off pretty good sounding like me and making it, you know, kind of sound in, in the less than Jake vein. So, um, you know, that's pretty much pretty much how that came about. That's so cool, man. I mean, I don't know. I was kind of the perfect age for that. You know what I mean? I was born yeah. in 85. So I, I like whatever. I used to watch that shit. And uh, I think I knew less than Jake before I knew I knew less than Jake. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, well, the, and and that that movie was great. That people still uh, still come up and talk to us about that. It, it it brought us a group of again. Every little thing we've done has brought us a little group of fans that we wouldn't have had had we not done that. You guys are hard workers, like you said uh, before. Like you just never stop. Uh, you never stop touring. One tour led into the next tour, and the whole time you're writing albums. Yeah. Do you just like write on the bus or in the van like you know like do you, do you just sit there with a guitar like while somebody's driving like does that make everywhere sense? all the above you know record yeah. demos into my voice memos we all have home studios everyone in the band so we, we record at home um you know so it's kind of whenever you have an idea it's very easy now to you know you always have your phone on you so you always have some type of recording device back in the day you, you'd have to re remember the idea in your head and, and hopefully get to something that could record it on you know not too many people were carrying around mini disc uh, uh recorders in their pocket a couple guys I, I knew used to do that but i never did so it's a lot easier now you ever wonder like how many great songs you forgot about you know what i mean like you had a riff and then you just like lost there's it there's been a like, couple there's been yeah. a couple yeah but i've You're always like, oh, i've always maintained if i didn't remember it it wasn't uh, memorable enough to remember so that's valid yeah what's your favorite saying uh favorite song to play on stage chris um the one that I ring out the last chord and I can go drink. It's <laughs> a great answer, dude. No, I don't, I don't, I don't mean that. that that's always a, that was a old, old joke answer I used to give. Um, I, I like the answer, but, but go I, there, there's, there's not a, there's not a favorite because, you know, it kind of goes along with the question that people say, are there any song years you're sick of playing? Anytime you get up in front of another audience, it's always new. No matter how many times you played house of blues, Boston, it's not going to be the exact same people standing in the exact same spot, doing the exact things, being as, as drunk or less drunk than they were the other time. It's always different. So, you know, for me, getting up there and, and playing, um, you know, the songs are always they're always fresh and they're always new, you know, and, and just being a human. There's some, some days, no matter what you do, you get on stage, maybe you don't feel good. Maybe, you know, things didn't go well at home that day or something in your personal life. You, know, you get on stage and and for that hour hour and a half on stage it, it seems to all kind of melt away and you get into the mood of the show and and you you're it's the one place where i can be in in the moment yeah man there's nothing more beautiful than that and uh, travis from piebald he said this um to me recently because i'm new to the touring world but he said you know because when we were open for dashboard we had a 45 minute set right he's like you know it's amazing what goes on like all, everything that goes on for this 45 minutes at all the traveling the loading in loading out everything but we have these 45 minutes to shred the people's faces off and and that's what it's all about right absolutely yeah. beautiful thing man um all right this could be with the band or without it could be band work leisure whatever what is your favorite place to visit outside the united states city country whatever um i i'd say japan yeah Tell me what, what your favorite thing about it is. Everything, just the it's a different pace. It's a there's a certain kindness there. Um, you know, walk down the street and look for a cigarette butt, you won't find one. People put them out on their shoe and they put it in their pocket till they find a receptacle to put it in. They were taught from a very young age that they live on a very small island. And we can't pollute our island. Um, the food's amazing. The culture, um, it's just fun. You're gonna love it. Wow, man, that sounds amazing. Uh, favorite city in the United States outside of like uh, you're either you said you're from like Michigan or Florida outside of like your home places. Um, wow. So many. 
Uh, All right, you can pick two. The Gorge Gorge Amphitheater is one of them out in uh, Washington State. It's just beautiful. And a place called Janice Live in St. Petersburg, Florida. That's where I used to see punk shows when I was a kid. And, you know, it's one of my favorite venues. That's rad, man. All right, Chris, um, tell me what's going on with Wes and Jake, like now and in the near future. Yeah, we got some... uh, some shows coming up. I don't know when this episode is going to air, but we got a show June 4th in the middle of Pennsylvania, June 5th. We're playing the Atlantic city beer festival. Got some other stuff that's uh, trickling in right now for late summer. Um, some other offers. And uh, later this fall, uh, can't announce it yet, but we have a tour of the United States uh, Midwest and East coast. That's going to be happening November into December of this oh, year. Fuck and, yeah. then, and then next year we're doing uh already got a scandinavian and a uk tour that is actually up online for sale now that's going to happen in march of 2022 and we're just uh we're just moving man other than that i i did um you have you're a writer too right? i wrote one book uh, yeah, i've got one book called blast from the past it's a picture book that uh, has accompanying stories to it you can find that at kristamakesabook.com got the podcast krista makes a podcast um, my uh, email address is kristamakes at gmail.com. If you'd like a custom song or jingle, I write custom songs, jingles. I also do video consultations one-on-one. I produce, I write, I arrange, I'll answer business related music, music, business related questions, anything else you'd like. Um, and, uh, yeah, that and everything the, with the band going on, I, I'm, I'm staying busy. Yeah, man. You're a very hard worker. Uh, you always have been, always will be clearly really appreciate your time, brother. Awesome. Dana. Don't you think it's strange that there's a way Of how you looked and how you act and how you think Pretend they're not the same as you Don't you think it's strange that there's a way Of how you looked and how you act and how you think Pretend they're not the same as you Let's wrap this one up, baby. Come out. Krista makes of less than Jake. Thank you so much. Once again, this was truly an honor and I am just the biggest less than Jake fan. This was very, very cool for me. And thank you all for listening. Once again, two week knows podcast. If you're new to this show and you dig it, make sure you hit subscribe so that you do not miss a single episode. And Hey, we got this new uh, segment here that I'm trying to stick with. And I want to encourage people to give me the five-star written reviews on Apple and iTunes because that's the best way to move the podcast forward. So I do giveaways every time we have a new review. We got two-week notice podcast t-shirts, we got stickers, and I got pins on the way. Come on. So here's the deal. We have two winners this week, all right? Here's a five-star written review from Guy2112. Great content. Just listen to the episode with David McQueen. I'm a 
fan of Big D and the Kids Table, so it was awesome to hear some insight from the man himself. Dana is a passionate host and doesn't have to fake the excitement about having these amazing artists on as guests. Scroll through the episodes. It's pretty much guaranteed you'll, you'll find an episode with an artist you love. Definitely a worthwhile listen. All right, so Guy2112, thank you so much. Hit me up on Instagram. All my info is in the description of this episode. I'm very easy to approach. And that goes for anybody. You can message me. I'm happy to talk to you. I really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. Send me a message. I'll hit you back. And um, Guy2112, you got a t-shirt. And our other winner is DSteady15. DSteady15. This podcast rules. Dana is a host who gets some awesome guests each week. If you're into music and entertainment, this podcast gives you some great behind-the-scenes stories from some amazing people who were in some pretty amazing bands. D Steady 15. So thank you both so much. That means the world to me. And again, offer stands, keeping it going. So if you want to win a t-shirt, I might even give away. I, sometimes I give away vinyl. All right. Listen, I've been known to give away a vinyl or two. Come on. Or more. All right. So give me a five-star written review on Apple Podcast, iTunes, whatever you want to call it. And you could be on the next episode. Or the next next episode. Either way, thanks for listening. Tell all your fucking friends. And let's let's end this on a high note. Happy Fourth of July. And one of my favorite Lesson Jake songs. One of my favorite songs ever. The science of selling yourself short. Thank you so much. And one last thank you to Krista Makes. Until next time. I love you all. Boys. Smoke them up.